Between 1938 and 1940, approximately 10,000 predominantly Jewish children fled Nazi oppression and took refuge in Great Britain. Today's guest, Kathy Golke, writes about this in her newest novel, Until We Find Home. Kathy's novels are well-written, and they have a strong Christian message, but she also hopes readers consider how past events can inform our view of the world today. And we have the opportunity to, to help in that way today. Those opportunities, are they seem different, but when we look at things, current events through the lens of history, I think sometimes we can see things a little more clearly. Our emotions don't get in the way quite so much, and, and we can say, oh, well, that was the right thing to do then. How does that affect this situation now? Hello, and welcome to the ARC Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Joy. Today on the ARC, we had the pleasure of speaking with Kathy Golke, three-time Christie Award-winning and best-selling author. Kathy often writes novels that are steeped with inspirational lessons, and focus on championing the battle against oppression, especially celebrating the freedom found only in Christ. We hope you're encouraged by our conversation with her today. If you want to learn more about Kathy, you can visit her website, kathygolke.com, or you can find her books at tyndale.com. Kathy, thank you so much again for uh, being on our podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you and Joy. Now, you've published several books with Tyndale all in the historical fiction genre. Can you tell us a little bit about what you got, what got you interested in writing in that genre? Oh, from the time I was a little girl, I... I have been fascinated with historical fiction. I actually was born in a home in North Carolina that had a sealed room in the top of the house. And we don't know why it was sealed, but my great aunt believed that it was a hiding place for slaves escaping on the Underground Railroad. Now, I don't know if that was true or not, but it's family legend, family lore. And from that moment, I was fascinated. So I knew the first book I ever wanted to write would be about the Underground Railroad, but but that was just the beginning. So I've been going up the uh, the years of history ever since then. Mm. It's a really neat way to write because you're relating real events to fictional stories, and then in a lot of your novels, you're also touching on current issues. So explain to us what inspired you to write Until We Find a Home, your most recent book. Okay. Well, you're absolutely right that current events inspire my stories. I, I truly feel that the Lord lays on my heart issues and concerns. And so I look for a time in history that mirrors that event. And in this case, I didn't have to look far. My concern was for refugees. And when I saw on television the pictures of children and women and teenagers fleeing across our borders from Mexico, from fleeing from gangs, and also refugees in, in so many parts of the world. You can't really turn the television on for the last several years without seeing pictures of refugees in camps or fleeing war or oppression or famine. So I wanted to think about that. I wanted to think about what is it that the Lord wants us to see in this? What does he want us to do? And I understand the need for safe borders. I understand 
concerns for terrorism, but Scripture tells us to care for widows and orphans. And how do we do that in the reality? How do we do that? So I looked for a picture in history, a time in history, that would mirror that. And I found that in World War II, or at the beginning of just before World War II began in many places, in fact, as uh, Jewish children especially were escaping war-torn Germany and France and and any other place, Poland, any other place uh, where Hitler's tentacles reached. So the kinder transport brought approximately 10,000 predominantly Jewish children to England and I wondered, what happened to those children? It's one thing to rescue them. It's one thing to uh, get them out of danger. But what happened when they arrived? Were they welcomed? Were they absorbed into the community? Were they treated like outsiders? They didn't know the language for the most part. And how was that for them? And so I wanted to paint a picture of not only what happened, I did want to keep true to history, but what could have happened? And does that give us any ideas about what we could do today for children, for refugees? It was it was just astonishing. In, in 2015, I learned that 51% of the world's refugees are children. Mm-hmm. 51%. That's a lot of children. Mm-hmm. It really is. And you, you write characters that have been inspired by characters or real people in your own life, one of them being your granddaughter. And I'm sure that comparing her life to those, you know, the characters that you're writing about, you can imagine just the horrors and the heartbreaking situations that they must have experienced. What a difference. I mean, my, my granddaughters, we, we live in a three-generation household right now, and my granddaughters are surrounded by love and uh, we almost buy for the time to spend with them <laughs> and attention and care and and these children had to leave their parents and it wasn't because their parents didn't love them it was because their parents loved them more than they loved their own life and they knew that they would probably lose their own life so they were trying to save their children what kind of love is that that's just that's just amazing love mm-hmm. and um, and yet the children ended up in many cases, feeling abandoned. They were sent away, and, and because they were children, it, it was hard to hold that idea in your head. Mommy and Daddy sent me away because they loved me. All they really felt was that they sent me away and they don't have me. They are not here to love me anymore. And what a, what a hard thing for those children, and what an opportunity for the people who took them in to give them love and to give them a home and a family and a community. In some cases that happened, but but not in all cases. Not all the children were treated well, and yet some were. It's human nature. It's just such a diversity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with the distance of history, looking back, we can absolutely see that this was the right thing to do to protect these children. But I'm sure it was controversial to some people at the time, just as similar situations now seem controversial, but um, sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but you're right. We have to say what is the right thing, what is the best thing for this child, right. ultimately. And uh, those were hard questions. There were parents that put their children on the train and at the last minute pulled them off. Mm-hmm. And and there were uh, children. There were parents that 
so much wanted their children to be able to go and there weren't enough spaces. So it was it was a hard time for sure. Yeah, I have a four year old son and I don't know that I'd be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. No. It's so hard, isn't it? It's such a hard idea. And um and so I think we can't I think that's important too because we can't trivialize what they did, what the parents did or what the caregivers did or what the children did, how they coped and how they survived. It was huge. And the children of um, Holocaust survivors or those who died in the Holocaust have have incredible stories. It, it was an event that marked their lives always and really shaped the people that they would become. So it's it's quite a quite a story, mm-hmm. and we have the opportunity to to help in that way today. Those opportunities are they seem different, but when we look at things, current events through the lens of history, I think sometimes we can see things a little more clearly. Our emotions don't get in the way quite so much, and and we can say, oh well, that was the right thing to do then. How does that affect? this situation now mm-hmm. at least that's what i hope readers will see and think about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about uh, your main character claire and kind of what motivated her and her journey a little bit of course not giving too much away okay well claire is fearful um in the beginning of the book i have a scripture that talks about the torment of fear and, and fear really does torment a life. She was afraid of many things. She was afraid of never being loved, of never belonging, of, of wanting a home and a family. And, you know, how would she go about that? And she'd grown up without a lot of care and attention from her mother. And she lived through the stories of the books that she read, lived through the characters. And so she related to life through those stories and those characters, and she does that throughout the book. But she's in, she's really in search of love and belonging, and she feels like she needs to perform and, and uh, be good enough and be worthy enough in order to be loved. And that's her journey. How, how does she get there? Um, what does that mean with the children that she rescues from France? And... And what does uh, what does that mean? I, it's a little hard to know how much to give away, too. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but truly, in the end, only the Lord can can give us that peace and right. and what she finds. Mm-hmm. And Kathy, you talk one of the themes that you incorporate uh, and found in many stories of war, like until we find a home that. It's difficult to live in times of uncertainty and when all of our expectations are broken, when we're surprised by events and feel truly out of control and uncertain of what the future is. And you you really talk about how Claire learns to live in the present and surrender the future. And that is one of the most difficult things that we as believers and we as humans in general have a hard time doing. So how was this a faith journey for you? I know we talked to a lot of authors about how they're developed in their own heart and mind as they write through their characters. Well, in this case, it, it was an interesting thing because 
the lessons that Claire learns and the lessons that Miranda, the aunt, learns as she goes through cancer and grieving are actually lessons that I've experienced in life myself. And for Claire, uh, they were lessons I learned earlier in life. And for Miranda, they were lessons I learned later in life. But I, I think that we all deal with a lot of uncertainty. We deal with a lot of uncertainty in our world today and a lot of fear in our world today. In, in World War II, they were wondering if they would be invaded. England wondered if they would be invaded. They feared invasion. They feared parachutists. And that's why little children dug Hitler holes. They, um, they were going to capture those parachutists coming in and invading. And um, for this book, this, was, this book was interesting for me because it was a bit of a victory book over cancer. I, I had just signed the contract for this book when I learned that I had cancer. And as I went through surgery and chemotherapy and radiation, I didn't really know if I would be able to write again. It, chemotherapy can, and in my case, really did affect my brain. Mm. So writing this was very difficult, and yet it was very important to me to write some of the most important lessons I've learned in life and to give the comfort wherewith I've been comforted uh, by the Lord. So Claire's journey through her fearfulness and her desire to be loved and belong and to find peace in the Lord was one I had learned earlier in life. And Miranda's journey through cancer and grieving, the loss of a loved one, I'd learned a bit later in life. But it was important to me to be able to write those stories and to share that because I know I'm not the only one that ever went through those hard times. No. And and so I felt, um, one interviewer asked me if I felt like I was leaving a legacy and I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah. But in a way, I, I think that's true. I think that the things that we receive from the Lord, whether they're lessons through hard times or they're joyous gifts, whatever they are, those are the things we want to pass to another generation mm-hmm. and um, and to readers. So this was this was my opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And Kathy, one of the other things you touch on, kind of as an over overarching theme would be that even if we don't feel like we can make a difference on a grand scale, what if we just did that? for the people in our own home, our own community. You talk about most of us live quiet lives, um, really making decisions that change the world, but we see in this story the importance of doing what we can in faith and watching the results kind of turn out. So how, with that in mind, how do you encourage our listeners to be doing that in the situations we see on TV? For many of us, they're overwhelming. They seem too big. Uh, how do we play a part in doing something like Claire did? Right. Well, because we can't do everything, it shouldn't stop us from doing something. We can all do something, and that, that can be a small thing. I think the situations that we see on television can really feel overwhelming. But if we break those things down, and sometimes it helps it helps me at least to make a list to, to break those things down, What what is the real need, and what one thing or two things or three things can I do to make a difference? Well, certainly if we are in a position to go to those places um, as, as 
you know, Doctors Without Borders, for instance, can do. If we are skilled and equipped to do that, those are great opportunities. Mm-hmm. But most of us are not. And some of us are equipped with finances to help support those kinds of endeavors. And some of us are not. Um, but we can do smaller things in our community. We can help with English as a second language. As I've written about refugees, one of the things I've come to realize is that not knowing the language of the country you're going into is such a handicap. I I meet um, people who, well, one of our neighbors, in fact, is is from a country and because he was an engineer in his country, a well-paid engineer, but he's come to this country, he doesn't know the language, he's really struggling, and the only job he can get is, is janitorial work mm-hmm. because he doesn't need the language. Mm-hmm. And so through churches and libraries, we can offer to tutor others uh, through for English as a second language. We can contribute clothing, um, that will help people in job interviews. We can offer help through childcare. There, there are just lots of opportunities if we reach out into the community, especially, I think, through churches and libraries are good places to find those connections, and, and they will lead you to other places. There's also the really important thing that we can, each and every one, do, and that is to pray. Mm. Pray for the refugees, Pray for the perpetrators of evil and pray that their hearts will be turned, that the Lord will work in them, and um, pray for peace and for the Lord's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that's something we can all do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Those are really good suggestions, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, a, I have a question about your writing process. As you were <clears throat> researching this time period and your characters, what were some of the most interesting aspects that you learned about that that you hadn't previously known? Well, this book is the first one I've set in England during World War II. I'd set a book uh, in England during part of World War I before, and the difference between World War I and World War II was interesting to me, and a lot of that I found through the mass observation project diaries that were kept by civilians. And they they wrote about their everyday observations and their lives. And it was interesting to see how life had changed from World War I to World War II. But for me, I have to say that the most interesting thing was about the children and, and how they were received, how they coped, um, both refugees that came from foreign countries and children that were transported out of the cities that were at risk for bombing and taken into what what they hoped was safer places, evacuees, they would call them, they called them evacuees. And that was just, just so interesting to me how the children coped and the things they learned to do. Children from the city had no idea how to milk a cow in the country, how to um, eat the vegetables that that they found. Their lives were so different, and the caregivers found that they were really challenged with children who didn't know their way of life. So 
those things were, I think, especially interesting to me. That not the big, um, not the big wartime military things that you read in history books, but the people's lives, how how they made it through each and every day, and how they cared for one another in wartime. And I I was really appreciative of how hard people did work to reach out to one another and help one another in wartime through their societies, through their churches, through just being neighbors. That was very encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We were recently talking to an author, and she was writing about a big major event from World War II, and she said she got a lot of the stories um, by going to the town and hearing stories that were passed down from people, not necessarily things she learned from history books. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. that's very true. Right, yeah. personal accounts. Personal inter- mm-hmm. I'm sorry? I was saying just the personal accounts of people who live, right. just the raw, unedited, very real experiences. Right, and it's such a privilege to do that because the people who live through those things we're losing every day, whether they're veterans or civilians or Holocaust survivors, we're losing those people every day now just because of age. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a real privilege to interview them personally and thankfully to, to have access to these diaries and newspaper articles and things that were kept. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And one of the treasures of your book are the mentions of Beatrix Potter and C.S. Lewis, particularly you have cameos of them. What prompted you to include them and what's your hope? you know, that readers might take away from their influence on the story? Well, Beatrix Potter has always been a favorite of mine, and I I included in this book many references to uh, books and authors from childhood that were important to me. But her illustrations, they're just as wonderful today as when, when she first drew them or painted them. And the interesting thing is, is that she really did live in the Lake District, in her old age where this book takes place and she the interesting thing too is she was a little bit of a grumpy old lady at oh. that point. and so and so that even was interesting to me but she did uh, rent not I shouldn't say rent but she she did make her house available to evacuees during the war as most people did if they could and so I, I just thought she was a very interesting person, and everything we know about her is from her youth, when she was a young woman and first first uh, writing and drawing and painting, and especially the movie Miss Potter has, has made her known to us. But I, it was fun to talk about her and relate to her and see her as an older woman. So that was that was interesting, and it was also interesting to me that her stories and paintings inspired C.S. Lewis and his brother when they were young to write fanciful stories about uh, sword-wielding mice and the created kingdom of, of animal characters. And that, of course, is something he did later in life mm-hmm. through the Chronicles of Narnia. So to see that connection was, I thought, really precious. And C.S. Lewis has had a big influence on my life and on the lives of many people I know. And the interesting thing about him is that he 
he did not believe originally, and he was an, he considered himself an atheist, and he documents his journey from atheism to theism and then to belief in Jesus. It wasn't one big jump, but he came to faith through reason, not through not through being born with an innate faith. And, and I've come to realize so much that faith is truly a gift, a gift that we're not all born with. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did not come to it through an appreciation of nature either, but but through reason. And I I love his writings. I've been blessed by them. He writes about so many different subjects in so many different ways. But I do hope that readers who might not have faith that read this book will be inspired by that journey mm-hmm. through reason and maybe look into that through his book, Mere Christianity, which was a compilation of this World War II radio broadcast. Mm-hmm. And um, the book he had written earlier, which I include in this book, The Problem of Pain. So, And the other thing that was surprising to me is that he carried on an enormous correspondence with so many people, and he did not have the internet. He was not answering emails in a flash. He was handwriting letters, and thousands and thousands of letters, and even to children. I don't know how he did that and write as prolifically as he did, but I just really wanted to highlight all those things about him and encourage readers to investigate and and read his work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. What a great example, well known to incorporate into a story of in a movement in history that might not be as well known. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love to include um, books and authors of of faith works that uh, this this new generation might not know mm-hmm. so well, and mm-hmm. and point them to those things. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's been great talking to you about Until We Find Home. Uh, do you want to give us a preview of maybe something you're working on for the future? Yes. Um, I'm working on a book. The working title is The Medallion. It takes It's another World War II story. It takes place in Poland primarily, although the characters do end up in England. And uh, the cameo character, there are two cameo characters, but I'll just share one real-life person, and that is Irina Spendler, the Polish social worker who uh, began a network that rescued 2,500 Jewish children from the Warsaw Ghetto and kept lists, hoping to reunite those families after the war. Of course, the families were mostly gassed, and so um, even so, they did find about 2,000 of those children and connect them with extended family members if they could, but 500, approximately 500, were never found. So this is partly the story of one of those children that that, uh, they did not find. The other thing I'm working on that I'm very excited about is a trip uh, for 2020 to Israel and Oberammergau, to the Passion Play when it returns to Oberammergau, which is highlighted in my book, Saving Amelie. But uh, my friend, dear friend, and author Terry Gillespie and I are working to co-lead a trip there. So we'll be sharing more about that on my website and on Facebook in the spring, 
And if you like to come, we would love to have you come. Yeah, that's such a neat trip. I mean, a once in a lifetime. And the fact that you can lead it, that you can plan where you'd like to go and how you'd like to do that, that that'll be incredible, Kathy. How exciting. Yeah, we're really excited. We're hoping to focus on the cost of discipleship and um, the calling of Jesus' disciples in Galilee all the way through the end of his journey, but also what that has meant through history and what it means to be a follower of Christ today. I think it will be a really exciting journey. Oh, it will. And if our listeners want to keep in touch with you online or visit your website, what's that URL and where are those places? Yes, kathygolke.com, C-A-T-H-Y-G-O-H-L-K-E, at, um, .com, and also on Facebook at Kathy Golke Books. Perfect. I'd love to meet, I'd love to meet with you there. Yes, that's wonderful. And for those of you who are listening, you can find all of Kathy's other books on Tyndall.com and her most recent books, uh, Until We Find a Home, uh, is released and now available in January. So thank you, Kathy. We so appreciate your time. We've really enjoyed getting to know you a bit. Thank you, Joy and Adam. It's been my pleasure, and I've enjoyed getting to know both of you. Take care, and God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.